would you join me in saying thank you to the choir and the orchestra one more time, please? Well, it's wonderful to see all of you here this morning. If you're uh, visiting with us today, if you're a guest with us, we are delighted that you've chosen to join us during this wonderful season of the year. If you're watching on SOCC.TV, we're, we're glad you've tuned in and you're worshiping with us as well in a different place. Uh, we're in this new series, Home for the Holidays, and we're going to take a look at one of the rooms today, uh, the foyer. By the way, this year marks the 65th anniversary of the song, Home for the Holidays. Perry Como is probably the most famous voice behind these words. He recorded it twice, two different times in his life. And you tune in to any Christmas music station in this month, and you're going to hear him singing uh, that particular song. Now, my favorite, my favorite rendition of that was recorded in 1984 by the Carpenters. I um, guess that dates me a little bit that, there too, but, but I like their style on, on that particular song. And the lyrics, well, they're, they're just joyful. Oh, there's no place like home for the holidays, because no matter how far away you roam, if you want to be happy in a million ways for the holidays, you can't beat home, sweet home. In our series, we're looking at various rooms in the house through the holidays and what these rooms have to say to us about our relationship with the Lord or a relationship with others. They're just illustrative kind of thoughts that get us into God's word. And today, well, we start with the foyer. I mean, where else would you start but the foyer? Now, I got to tell you this. I really like our, our congregation's foyer out here, the church foyer. I, I wish, I guess, it was a little bit bigger, but I love the excitement, the energy, the laughter, the voices. It is a great place to hang out before the sermon, okay? And, it, you know, you walk in and you just feel this uh, sense of family out there. But the foyer in a church building is, is a large place. It makes the church building feel like a church home. Our homes are not quite that way when we look at the foyer. They come in all different shapes, sizes, and colors. But honestly, they're, they're usually pretty minimal. And, and honestly, we don't spend a lot of time in the foyer. And I think... I think that the foyer probably witnesses a greater range of emotions for the time we spend in that small area than any other place in the house. Let me see if I can uh, explain that a little bit. Uh, the, the foyer is a place of joy. Family and friends, some perhaps we have not seen for a long time, are welcomed into the foyer with hugs and smiles and excitement. We know it's the beginning of something good. I, I kind of get a kick out of our uh, grandkids who run to ring the doorbell, and then before we can get the door, they run right back around, hide behind the garage, and we go to the door. Of course, there's nobody there, you know, and we make a big deal about it, and they have a name for this charade. It's called, they have ding-dong-ditched us. <laughs> now, I don't know who thought that one up, but it's a fun game. I like it, and it brings joy. There's something excitement about that at the foyer, but it's not just joy. Sadness also can be felt in the foyer. Family and dear friends leave. And if their parting means that they'll be gone for a long time or we won't see them for weeks or months, there will be tears. We linger in the foyer at that time. And we watch as their car pulls out of the driveway and we stare into the distance until the last glimmer of the taillights fade into the darkness. We turn to leave the foyer slowly, sadly, 
knowing that we will miss the joy that they brought when they came through that door. Suspicion. <clears throat> Believe it or not, suspicion is something that happens in the foyer. The doorbell rings and there's a stranger at the door with a clipboard or a salesman's satchel or a magazine subscription form or religious material in their hand and a syrupy smile on their face. You know what I'm talking about. We approach the foyer warily without a smile. Our guard is up. We dig in our heels even before we grab for that doorknob, we've made up our not minds that we will not sign, buy, vote, or take the literature. So sometimes when we approach the foyer, it's with a feeling of suspicion. And then there's anticipation and anxiety at the same time in the foyer. It's her first date. And she's anticipating a wonderful evening. It's her first date and old dad is anxious, fidgety, restless, and doubtful that any young squirt can live up to his expectation for his princess. And then Mr. Squeaky and Geeky walks up to the door. <laughs> the girl giggles and dad rolls his eyes. Oh, he'll never do. Dad stands in the foyer right next to his lovely daughter as if to protect her from the vermin that has just walked through the front door and will change his life forever. He watches intently as they leave the house. They walk through the door and down the steps and onto the walk, and he watches as they get to the car, and what do you know about that? He opens the door for his daughter. Well, maybe, just maybe he'll be okay. Nah. <laughs> so sometimes there's anticipation and anxiety at the same time in the foyer. Sometimes there's anger. There's anger. There's been an argument. It wasn't supposed to be that way. The discussion started out with good intentions, but a wrong word here and a condescending gesture there. And before you know it, bitter words are exchanged. The intensity escalates. The volume rises. And someone storms out of the foyer, slamming the door after them in anger. And the one left in the foyer peers through the door with regret for the words and the heartfelt motions that were exchanged. You see, sometimes the foyer is, is an angry moment. Uh, there, there are a lot of emotions in the foyer, aren't there? <clears throat> you can probably think of some others. <clears throat> for the amount of time we spend in a foyer, a lot happens in that little small area. It sets the mood for what's going to happen the rest of the evening. And it's designed to be a place of welcome. The foyer is the first room in the home where we're exposed to the warmth and the light of the house. On a cold, dark night, could any place be more welcoming than when you open the door and they step into the foyer? It's the first room in the home where we catch an aroma of a home-cooked meal or fresh-baked bread. And when your stomach is growling, could any room be more welcoming? It is the first room in the house where we are embraced by family and friends when our hearts are breaking and tears fill our eyes. Could any room with those hugs be more welcoming? When Jesus arrived, the world's foyer was a manger filled with straw. There was no warmth in this venue exposed to the elements. God did provide a celestial porch light to guide those who were on their way to worship the newborn king. But where the divine baby entered was not an inviting room. There was no aroma of fresh baked bread for the bread of life. 
The only smells there were those that you would associate with a stable full of animals. There were no extended family members either. No close friends to embrace this historic birth or to congratulate Joseph or to comfort Mary. Only sheep and shepherds who were complete strangers, who were rough around the edges, came to greet the newborn king. None of us would want a foyer like that. But that's the one this world gave to Jesus. And though few foyers look or appear the same, they all have two things in common. A threshold and a front door. Now the threshold is the entrance to the house marked by, most of the time, a stone across the, the base or a plank of wood across the base or in probably many of our homes, it's a metal strip that fits on the floor where the door closes and seals out the cold. That's the threshold. It is believed that threshold comes from the same root as the verb to thresh. Threshing is a part of the harvest where the seed is separated from the stalk or from the chaff. The threshold of the home therefore separates the outside from the inside. And of course the foyer is where the front door opens or closes to protect that threshold. And there's some valuable lessons. If, if you'll use your imagination... And you think of a threshold and you think of the door. There's some valuable lessons here in our relationship with God and to one another. Let's just take a look at some of these. There is the threshold of sin. Human life in this world had barely gained a foothold before sin threatened to destroy every bit of God's good creation. In humanity's second generation, pride resulted in a homicide. And this was not just any murder, but the firstborn son murdered the secondborn son, his brother. Here's the setting. Both Cain and Abel brought sacrifices to the Lord. They are grown men. They are workers in the field and shepherds of the flock. And so they bring this offering to the Lord. And the Bible tells us that Abel shared the best from his flock and Cain shared some, some of his harvest. Abel's sacrifice was acceptable. Cain's was not. The difference seems to be the attitude. Abel was willing to give the best. Cain shared some. Genesis chapter 4 verse 5 says, But on Cain and his offering, he, being God, did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Have you ever noticed, folks, how we become defensive and angry when we're guilty? Then it goes on. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. God provided clear warning to Cain. You've got to master this temptation. Don't let what's going on in your heart and your mind come to fruition. I know what you're thinking, Cain. Don't go there. But the warning fell on deaf ears. Cain could not get past his anger. He could not get past his resentment for his brother's offering being acceptable. And sin is referenced as if it is a crouching animal ready to pounce upon Cain without warning. If Cain would choose the good, it would be okay. 
If, however, he maintained that defensive posture, sin would pounce on him and destroy him, and that's exactly what happened. Cain killed his brother and then had to flee. And the first family, history's first family, was devastated. Filled with sorrow, grief, anger, loss, anguish. I can't help but wonder if at that moment the lingering sweet taste of that forbidden fruit in the garden didn't turn sour in Adam's mouth and Eve's mouth. Their home, you see, their family, you see, would never ever be the same. Sin, temptation, is crouching at the door just on the other side of the threshold. Let me see if I can describe for you the nature, the devastating nature of sin. What's been called the Carrington event, uh, and that's named after the one who discovered the cause, was one of the largest geomagnetic solar storms on record. It happened in 1859, and that year, those who lived through that year wrote about the aurora borealis, the northern lights that were absolutely spectacular. They'd never been that way before. As a matter of fact, they were even seen in the southern hemisphere. But the geomagnetic storm played havoc with the telegraph system. Uh, The telegraph lines went, went wild. Those telegraphers, as they were trying to tap out a message on the, got shocked every time they touched the keys because of the magnetic solar storm. They say that uh, when one of those of that magnitude happens again, and it will someday, it could wipe out the entire electrical grid of the world. Sin is like that. Absolutely gorgeous. More beautiful than you think you've ever seen it before. But that's from a distance. When it gets close and personal, its shocking impact destroys your life. So may I suggest to you that sin resides at the very threshold of our lives. It is never far away. But if we keep the door closed, we'll be able to resist. If, however, we open the door just a peek to our anger, our gossip, our lusts, our jealousies, our quest for power, our pride, just Open it a crack, and the tempter will pounce. And at that moment, we'll be powerless to overcome. So keep the light of God's truth shining in the foyer of your life, and keep the door closed and locked to temptation. Here's something else. The threshold of words. Here's what I've noticed in life. Outside the front door of our homes, we we tend to be more guarded about what we say and how we say it. Now, I'm not so sure that's as true as it used to be. Uh, When I read in in, uh, the news and I hear things on the news about the way people talk on email, uh, in their texting, in their Twitters, uh, or their tweets, or whatever those birds do, they... We, we, we get to this point where we become mean and nasty again when we're behind a keyboard. So I'm not sure as we're as guarded as we used to be, but we should be. Um, but once back over the threshold, what I've noticed in life is that uh, we let down our guard with our family members and our tone or our words can sometimes be less than kind. 
You see, the very ones who deserve our very best get our least consideration and sometimes get our very worst. And don't sit there all smug like trying to make me think that you don't do it. I'm guilty. You're guilty. We're all guilty of when we cross back over that threshold of letting down the guard and, and treating those who should be treated with kindness less than the best. And I don't know about you, but nothing bugs me more than about that moment about halfway through an argument when I realize that I'm wrong. <laughs> so just guard, guard your tongue, guard your mouth. Psalm 141 verse 3 says this, set a guard over my mouth, O Lord, keep watch over the door of my lips. That verse, folks, would make a great daily prayer and a genuine gift for those that we love this holiday season. So I'm going to encourage you, print it out, and post it on the refrigerator where everybody in the house can see it. Or stick it to the mirror where you get dressed and ready and, and cleaned up every morning. Don't put it on your spouse's mirror. That's the same thing as saying something unkind, all right? Just put it on your own. Let's work on ourselves. And if we work on me, then maybe it will spread and overflow into the rest of the household. President Theodore Roosevelt said, if you could kick the person in the pants responsible for most of your trouble, you wouldn't sit for a month. <laughs> I can't imagine Jesus verbally unloading on his mother or his brothers or his sisters. Can you? You see, I need to be more like him. I need to model my words after him. I need to make sure I let nothing cross the threshold of my lips except that which is honorable and kind in the sight of God. So, let's watch the threshold of our words, shall we? Here's another one, the threshold of opportunity. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said this, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. There's persistency here. There's tenacity here to ask, to seek, and to knock. And when we do, God opens the door. Now, folks, this is not a formula to get what you want. This is what God's promise is when we genuinely knock to find out what his will for our lives is, God will open the doors of opportunity for you if you're genuine in seeking him. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians, he said, I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me. Now, Paul in his second missionary journey wanted to go up north into Bithynia to preach the gospel. Holy Spirit wouldn't let him go up there. I don't know how the Holy Spirit prevented him. Paul says we were prevented from going into Bithynia. So he went to Troas, and when he was in Troas, he had this vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, which was one of those cities that he visited, and saying, you know what? God opened up a door, and look what that door produced. Folks, we're here. We're here because the gospel came through Europe. And then to America, that golden door of opportunity. M.H. Alderson said this, if at first you don't succeed, you're running about average. <laughs> it's true, no, no one's plans always work out. So when plan A doesn't work out, don't give up. Just keep your eyes focused on the next open door that God has for you. Take a lesson from 
that annoying little seed that we call a cockleburr. You walk through the fields or the brush at this time of the year and you, you'll come out with your pants covered with these sticky little grabby seeds. And there's more to their story than being the inspiration for Velcro. <laughs> they were. That's where we get Velcro. The cockleburr seed pod contains several seeds that germinate at different years. So if seed A that is supposed to sprout next spring is involved in a drought and cannot sprout, then seed B starts the next year. And if that one fails, seed three the year after that, all in those tiny little seeds. I'm just telling you, if one opportunity doesn't work out, keep trusting God. He'll open the door at the right time. Truett Cathy, founder of Chick-fil-A, lived his life and based his businesses on biblical principles. One of his life sayings was simply this, take advantage of unexpected opportunities. That's what God promises us. Unexpected open doors. Trust him. At the right moment, he'll open the right door and you can step across a new threshold into a new adventure of life. Here's another one. The threshold to life. When Noah, his family, and a sampling of the animal kingdom entered the ark, God shut the door. Did you ever notice that in, in the story in, in Genesis? God shut the door. Life on, out, on the outside of the ark perished. Life on the inside was spared. Life on the outside suffered judgment. Life on the inside relished grace. When Moses predicted the final plague of punishment on Egypt, the death of the firstborn, Moses also provided the Hebrew captive families with an antidote. Do you remember what it was? They were to take a lamb, an unblemished, unspotted lamb, and use the blood of the lamb to mark what? The door. The door posts on either side and the header above the door right there at the threshold, so that when death came into Egypt and took the firstborn male of every Egyptian household, death was stopped at the threshold of the Hebrew house that was covered with the blood of the lamb. All outside, firstborn perished. All firstborns inside were spared. An indentured servant, somebody that had served in a family for a number of years until perhaps his Time was up. But if he didn't want to leave, if he really liked the family, if he felt like he belonged to the family and didn't want to stay, there was a provision for this. Moses writes in Deuteronomy 15, he says, but if your servant says to you, I don't want to leave you because he loves you and your family and is well off with you, then take an awl, you know, that tool that's very pointy and sharp, and push it through his earlobe into the door and he'll become your servant for life anybody in that day and time with a pierced ear like that with an awl was was recognized as somebody who was completely sold out to the master that folks is the picture that's the word that Paul uses so often when he writes his letters in the New Testament, when he says, I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a bond servant. It's one that's had his ear pierced at the door, saying, I am forever sold out to the master, Jesus Christ. And it takes place at the door because that's when you cross that threshold into a brand new relationship. Jesus was teaching the crowds and on one occasion was asked, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? And he said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. 
A narrow door is, is, well, it's not easy to get through. And it's oftentimes hard to spot. And it's a lot easier to go through the big double doors or the rotating door or the doors that open and close when you get close. Yeah, it's just easier. People don't look for the narrow door. They don't look for the hard way. But Jesus said, following me is not an easy way. And because of that, there will be few who will take up the challenge to be a disciple, a follower, a bondservant to me. And what does following him grant us? It gives us life. Jesus said, you follow me, I will give you life. I am life. John 10, Jesus makes this analogy. He said to them again, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not hear, did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. In Jesus' day, there were two kinds of sheepfolds. There was a large one, sort of a community kind. And when shepherds came together, they could put all of their sheep in the same fold. And there was a gate that would swing shut on that one. And, and since the sheep knew the shepherd's voices, they could separate the flocks very easily afterwards. But that's not the, that's not the uh, sheepfold Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about the individual one, the small one which was walled in, maybe even just with thorns and thistles and stuff to, to, to keep the sheep inside and the predators out. There was no gate over that one. The shepherd himself laid down in front of the opening once the sheep were in. So the sheep couldn't get out without crossing him. The predator couldn't get in without crossing him. The shepherd became the door. Jesus said, I am the door to the sheep. He is our protector. He is our guide. He is our deliverer. He is our savior. He will not let anything come against us and he will protect us inside the fold. And the fold is open to all who seek him. So, may I ask, what are you doing to help others find that open door? The door to life, the door to the sheepfold. What have you done lately for your one life? You see, without you, your one life may miss the narrow door. Right now, your one life is focused on the bigger, wider, glitzier door. You need to help them find the narrow door because that's the door that leads to life. And if you want to find life, there's only one door to it. Eternal life is not behind door number one, door number two, or door number three. If the price is right, it's behind the narrow door the one marked with the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Step across that threshold, people, into life. And when you step through that door, oh, oh, the joy we'll experience. One last, the threshold of invitation. This scripture provides to me one of the most beautiful pictures in scripture. God takes the initiative and invites us into a relationship with him, but it is solely our choice. He will never force his relationship upon us. Revelation 3.20 says this, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Do you realize that that beautiful invitation that we cling to so much comes at the very end of one of the harshest of the seven letters to the churches in the book of Revelation? It was written to the church that Jesus said, I'm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth because of your inconsistency. But I still stand here and I still knock. I grew up with this picture. This has always been my favorite picture of this particular scripture. You've seen that picture before too, I know. 
Notice anything peculiar about the door? The artist purposely left no latch or knob on the outside. You see, Jesus is an open door that no person can shut. But we are a closed door that not even the Savior can open. It has to be opened from the inside. And so the invitation to us is, open the door, let him across the threshold, and he will bring us life everlasting. Will you follow him for the rest of your life? He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's also the door. Cross that threshold today, won't you? Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.